Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 435 on Tuesday, the 2nd of November, 2021. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where we've managed to get near an internet, we'll be worried about unintended consequences. We'll find out how the chips are down for JLR. And we'll be looking at a dramatic drop in productivity due to a historic archive going online. But first, we go straight into the news. And the unintended consequences I just mentioned is the fear on an open consultation from the government that is titled Future of Transport Regulatory Review. Easy for someone else to say. You can tell they're not podcasters, can't you? (laughs) Modernising Vehicle Standards. Now, this actually came out on the 28th of September. But I wish to thank uh, Alex Kefford at Tall Driver on Twitter for bringing it to my attention. And also Ralph Hosier, which is how I noticed it. Yes. By the way, yeah. Yeah, Ralph has been been busy tweeting about this as well. Now, what they are actually looking at is trying to look at four areas to modernise the regulations that we've got. So they're looking at, and I'm quoting a lot of words here, so this isn't me going into consultancy speech. Please, please don't at me. Uh, But they're looking at uh, frameworks for tomorrow's vehicles. So they're looking at regulating safety, security and environmental performance. They're trying to make sure that the regulations are flexible and proportionate enough that allow things to be done safe, secure, without damaging or minimizing the damage to the environment, but allowing companies to pursue innovation and new technologies and stuff like that. They're also looking at improving compliance and safety and security from anyone who manufactures or anyone who deals with motor vehicles. But the one that's really got people worried is they've mentioned tackling tampering, which is a very broad phrase. It's not just a broad brush. The the tampering one is not just a broad brush. It is a roller for putting on emulsion. Okay, it's just, it's something which is a tampering product. That's all they're describing it as. And it says, a principal effect is to bypass defeat, reduce the effectiveness or render inoperative a system part or component. And then it says the product may be a physical part or component, hardware and or software. This ties into what we were saying a couple of weeks ago when we mentioned John Deere. Yeah. Because we talked about that right to repair. And this is very much what we're, we're talking about here. It's the right this to repair. Absolutely. And it, the worry is that quite rightly, you want people to not disable safety features, to not hack code, mm-hmm. to not do things that will damage the integrity of what something has been passed to do. However, the risk is that that then stops independent companies and organizations from enhancing. The challenge, yeah, the challenge here is it doesn't say what that is. It just leaves that completely open. It's just completely wide about what you're tampering with. To be honest, it could be be that if you change the alloy wheels in a car, that's tampering. You could actually go as far as saying if you put a different brand of tire on. But that changes WLTP. So maybe that's, you know... Technically, you have tampered with the results of the car you bought. And this is, you, you understand the challenge now. You don't have to be hardcore max power, no, crazy modder for this to be an issue. Yeah, we're not talking like diesel bros or anything. <laughs> this is fitting aftermarket brake pads. Uh, this is fitting pattern brake pad parts from a, a reputable supplier. Mm. That's the level this can be described. That's the level this can go to. 
there is a questionnaire that goes that accompanies this to give your feedback. Strongly recommend reading through the was it it's it's a few pages, 18 pages max, and most of those are just intro and outro of widely spaced text that doesn't fill the pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, having a look through that and then giving your feedback please this does actually affect all of us this doesn't just affect that this affects all of us this doesn't just affect those of us who like to footer with our cars yep absolutely and to the point where they are they have been specific enough to mention for advertising tampering services or products and they've got tampering in inverted commas but you see the thing is that on one hand there's actually lots of good stuff there so these mileage mileage correction services yep. for example come completely under that and you think yeah well they're dodgy as heck mm. absolutely we know we're stopping that kind of stuff for people removing uh diesel particulate filters which is already an mot fail anyway all these kind of things yes yes absolutely and then you think but where is that line and how do they how do they define that line at a reasonable level yep. as well so very very tricky on this so well worth us giving all giving our feedback to try and help this be correct yes not as it is in this willy wishiness of awfulness yeah we've got till the 22nd of november as well by the way yeah we will bang on about this up till that deadline and and i'm sure we will retweet there's plenty of others out there that are mentioning it as well mm. association of heritage engineers ralph yep. hosier these kind of people this is really important that we pay attention to it and we actually help the government understand that the generalized wording is too generalized. Yes, yeah. absolutely. We can at least attempt to change this. Yes. Things we can't attempt to change are the autumn budget. The autumn budget was, as we would have expected the autumn budget to be, the Chancellor telling us the things that he wasn't changing and how grateful we should be as a result. You mean because he still wanted a political career? <laughs> don't they all the planned rise in fuel duty this ever threatened bogeyman which hasn't changed for 12 years uh, and still takes 57.95 pence of every liter of fuel it has been frozen and we've been told by mr sunak the many many different large amounts of of money that we are being saved as a result of this and that's that was really most of it as far as as far as roads and cars the other thing is is obviously potholes because potholes are a political important thing um, as well as being very uncomfortable for the rest of us but they've put out enough money to to fix one million potholes a year is this the same that we were discussing a few weeks ago that is actually a reduction yes yeah Yes, it, it, it is one of those many. So they're going to be spending £21 billion on new roads around the country, £2.6 of which will upgrade 50 local roads. There's lots of this is, is repetition. It's the autumn budget. It's not the March one. It's the same stuff being rehashed as if it's, it's new news. Yeah, there's there's um, a lot of money, money has moved a column. Yes. I mean, a, a fine example of that was the, the, the announcements around around uh, around buses yeah. uh, and public transport, for example, here in Englandshire, the committing £6.9 billion towards train, tram, bus and cycle projects, which is good, but that already includes the £1 billion that he, he pledged to create a London-style transport network earlier in not about a month and a bit ago lots of times where things are being double counted that they've already been been announced but none of this should be news to you because it's politics and this is what happens yep quite 
The cynicism is high this evening, folks. I'm very Absolutely. Sorry. And we're toning it down as well. We are, actually. <laughs> right, I'm going to take us to uh, JLR, because they announced this week that for uh, the second quarter of the year, which is July to September, they posted a loss of $302 million, which they put firmly down to the fact that the chip shortage meant they could not sell uh, the number of cars anywhere near like they did last year. They were 112,000, I think, last year, and 114,000 last year, and they were down to 92,700 this mm-hmm. year. Uh, again, so it seems JLR have been quite badly hit compared to others in the same sort of market. Yeah, I mean, this, this has been going on for a few months, that, that very early on in the chip shortages, JLR were falling short. Yeah. They've been in quite a bad position uh, in, in this. And being a small manufacturer. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. In global terms, they just don't have the might of. As much as it is. Mercedes <laughs> and Volkswagen and everyone. Volkswagen building 11 million cars a year. And they're still having trouble because they can't force through the manufacturer. Then pull little JLR with under half a million by the looks of it. That looks like that's going to be where it comes in this year mm. they just don't have the the global leverage it's uh oh, i really feel for them on this one actually i do as well but they they did say that there are some some positives to take from this and that's they've mm. got uh order books which have been at their highest ever level yeah it's, it's not that people don't want their stuff that's the yeah. most frustrating part of all of this and that their uh, refocus program where they are trying to cut costs and all the rest of it is well on track and they reckon they will have uh, saved in the region of one billion in value by the end of um, next year so Bits are working. It's just they mm-hmm. cannot get the chips to get the cars in the the people's hands. Which interesting point in in this this article by uh, James Atwood in Autocar, and that's that is pointing out that uh, Land Rover Defenders up seventy point four percent year on year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going incredibly well. And whilst UK sales down forty seven point six percent in China, they're only down six point three percent. And as he points out, it suggests the firm may have prioritised deliveries to different regions which makes sense and we'll talk a bit more about that later on i'm sure yeah that's not the only jlr news is it no it isn't they've obviously with part of that focus that we just talked about then jlr is it, they don't sell that many evs i mean the numbers of plug-in of hybrids are high plug-in hybrids not great because they don't have a huge range of them and the right at the minute the i-pace is only something like 2.9 percent of jlr output mm. and it being their only ev so as a result they get kind of hit with the the co2 emissions and the, the fleet averages and all these kind of things it's not so bad for them as it is for the manufacturers of small cars in 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 some ways because of course it's based on an average fleet weight and and their cars tend to be on the larger side mm-hmm. uh, but all the same if they get hit with a fine, if they go over, it's €95 Euros or £77 uh, on, on the 26th of October per vehicle per gram per kilometre. So that's pretty hefty fine when you're already not making that much money. I think when they did their earnings call, they said they had put aside something in the region of 80-odd million for the fine, but mm-hmm. this deal helped that. Well, this deal is going to mitigate that going forward. So JLR has now joined Honda in the sort of pooling their credits pool 
that that was formed by Tesla mm-hmm. for this. So of course, Tesla can get away with it quite happily because they're well under. So they they're essentially buying the credits from from Tesla. Again, it's one of Tesla's major income streams. That, uh, that and hype. Yes, that Whoops. that is. Um, uh, but, but that is closing as a, as an option for them as an income stream. It very much is uh, as more and more manufacturers really ramp up their their evs then then that's going to be short-lived that one you know fca is not part of it anymore for mm-hmm. example yep. there's a bit of an agreement there between between jlr and tesla so. mm-hmm. okay i'm going to discuss petrol prices very briefly because it's a very painful subject but unless you're living under a rock or don't drive a car at all uh, you'll understand, or drive an EV, or not be sorry, surprised. Sorry, because some no, no, you will, pants will no, come you will know that. because you'll be okay. chuckling away <laughs> because you'll hear the rest of us bleating on. Oh yes, all the ones who were smug the other week. Yes, yes. <laughs> more than half of the UK now is paying more for petrol, and this isn't in this article, but I saw it from the RAC uh, yesterday, and diesel than the 2012 record high. So we're all paying, I mean, some of the prices around here, uh, of which those stations have been noted to not return to ever when the prices come down slightly. <laughs> when have the prices ever come down? Yeah. Well, it's going to get to the point, like it did when we had the economic crash in 2008, where people will stop using their car because they can't afford it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. With, especially with inflation cool. going up. And then the petrol pro- the petrol companies will start, or the forecourt companies will start going, oh, please use us. Ah, we remember you. Yeah. We helped you out when you said, please come to us. Mm-hmm. Mm, so, uh, yeah, it it's basically pretty grim. And oil is at $86 a barrel. Mm-hmm. And they are, ta- but with the, RA, uh, the RAC have said that retailers are now taking more margin per litre than they did nine and a half years ago. Doesn't surprise me. Did you see that French supermarket chain Leclerc? was selling fuel without any i think it was for two weeks they were going to sell fuel and they weren't going to add any margin on for themselves in fact i almost think they weren't even charging for the fuel it was it was a bit of a loss leader but the aim was to show how much tax there was on Mm. the fuel how much of that price was fuel was was tax as opposed to what was fuel and what was what they were taking because it was basically to say look we don't make anything on this bit yeah I mean obviously it brings people to their shops but yeah. well do you want to take us to London um do I have to because it's going to get awfully expensive <laughs> well, it depends on what you drive now <laughs> well it does so um so yes uh, last week twenty fifth of October the plug in hybrid vehicles are no longer exempt from the congestion charge in london so that's 15 pounds a day that plug-in hybrids now have to pay even if they can be driven entirely on electric power for the time that you're within the congestion zone and even if they emit uh, no more than the 75 grams per kilometer of co2 which previously qualified them for the clean vehicle discount which was previously called the ultra low emission discount so now you have to be a battery electric vehicle or you have to be a fuel cell electric vehicle to be able to drive in London without having to pay some form of charge or other Yep. at any time apart from Christmas Day. Yes, but that will change 
2025 for EVs and fuels. Everybody's going to have to pull down the trousers and bend over then. Yeah, so it, it's basically they don't want cars. Yeah. Uh, th- now, the thing is, right, I was about to go you have to use public transport in a kind of sarky way and thinking, well, to be honest, driving a car in London is not normally a very pleasant experience. There's a comprehensive public transport system, blah, 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 blah. But there are times when you do just need a car and there'll still be times when taking the car is cheaper, even whenever you have to pay the various surcharges mm. which are needed. And of course, partly they're needed to balance the budgets because of the way that TfL is not funded. Yes. <laughs> Right, well, something that may help some companies uh, in the future when it comes to congestion charges, uh, but also help uh, in other urban areas, and that is the news that BP and Piaggio have got together and they are developing two- and three-wheeled EVs aimed at the moment at Asia, but the idea is to bring them to Europe as well. And they're starting off in India. So if you're thinking of those tuk-tuk vehicles, mm-hmm. it's it, that's the sort of thing they're looking at initially. Obviously, they are predominantly on the roads in india and they are spewing out dreadful amounts of dreadfulness (laughs) so if you could make those electric immediately the air cleans up dramatically if you are taking the other ones off the road obviously at the same time this is an interesting I, i think this is really interesting project and i think will make a huge difference to air quality particularly in countries that are poorer, but also then the hipsters will see them as great delivery vehicles in Europe and in the UK and the likes. It's interesting that it's talking about sort of whole, not just, oh, we're going to do this and sell it, but it's talking about sort of all-encompassing services. Sorry, this is the kind of thing that, that, that gets me all excited, thanks to my day job and they're talking about things like battery as a service so the leasing management recycling of batteries all in one go and even vehicle as a service so being able to so people can uh, use the vehicles by paying a certain amount per kilometer they travel or per per period of time or possibly a combination of the two mm-hmm. and being able to do that so they will pay back as you know, a proportional amount of what they, they can earn from the vehicle because these are not just fun vehicles. These are these are actually yeah. they are actually working vehicles. And I think there's a lot to, to be said for that. I saw a while ago actually, it must have been towards the start of the pandemic, because Bjorn Nyland was visiting his his family or his, his wife's family in Thailand and he had an interview with a guy with a with an electric tuk tuk and how that worked for them because they actually these guys actually spend quite a lot of time waiting at the side of the road mm-hmm. if they can charge during that waiting time then that's just great for them because they've already got the sort of downtime yeah and then of course should they, when they get a fare then they can sort of unplug and zip off yeah and that was really that was particularly interesting video and i'm imagining something like that but maybe a little bit more packaged yeah would be the outcome of this no, I like that. I like this idea. Mm-hmm. I like this. Yeah, idea. it's a, it's a goodie that one. Mm. Right? Do you want to take us to uh, unfortunately another Tesla story? Yeah, lo- lots of Tesla stuff. And un- you know, there's like a year's worth of Tesla stories in here, and we've held some off as well. And we have. We we really have. Now there'll be lots more news next week. We don't have to talk about them. Uh, but the <laughs> software software problems, full self driving. 
the important part about this isn't just that Tesla, you know, put out some software for the car, which clearly hadn't been completely tested and was full of bugs, therefore had to shove out another over-the-air update to deactivate the first one. But at the same time, it didn't just remove the previous software, it turned off safety systems. And by that, I mean the autonomous emergency braking and the collision warning yep. as well. And the reason... now. Why are we making a big deal about this? They didn't tell anyone. They didn't tell anyone. And the other thing about that is that those exact systems are the ones which matter a lot in the NCAT. Yes. In the NCAT ratings. So for a while there, then actually vehicles that were being sold as being particularly safe because they're good for avoiding pedestrian collisions and et cetera, et cetera, that's unavailable to people. Yeah. So actually, they should have dropped about three NCAP stars for that period because it, it, I mean, it comes back to tampering. It does this Is this described as tampering, as you've got it at the beginning? Well, because you're actually deactivating things which are on a standard previously and that people rely on. This is a bit that we, we do need to discuss and say that if you are doing over-the-air updates – which have a host of reasons why they would be advantageous. Certain things need to be in place, as in the authorities need to have approved them, hmm. and it needs to be made very clear to customers, owners, this is what's changed with your vehicle. Please be yeah. aware. <laughs> in a sort of big, obvious warning of these are the things, and it's not just to just click the accept Before button. you can press the start button and, the, and we're ready to drive away, then... Hmm. You need to read this information. You are not allowed to just skip and press I've read it. You have to actually read it. <laughs> exactly. And I noticed from the from one of our patrons just saying there that this should have been a proper NHTSA recall. Even NHTSA are saying that it should have been a re, it should have been a proper recall. Yeah. I think that changes in the reg the regulators in the US, many of which have been well publicized, not necessarily in a good way. Uh, the publicity, not necessarily in a good way, will hopefully mean that all manufacturers do have to be much clearer about this kind of thing. I think what this is actually going to do is it is going to force the regulators to be incredibly explicit. And mm -hmm. what Tesla have done ha it is going to be very similar to Dieselgate, as in everyone is now going to be caught up in this. I think, yes. And because of the attitude and the way Tesla have gone around full self-driving and how they have decided to let members of the public test it mm. instead of paid employees. But it's all right, because if you don't want to take part, you could just stay at home. Yes, that's a particularly fantastic idea. Well done. Good thinking there. Oh, no, I've triggered him a bit much now. And No, it's okay. I'm keeping it under wraps. Maybe you need to speak to my family who have had to been on the brink of it for the last week or so. <laughs> but also the way that they clearly go about testing this software, because Musk came out and said, oh, from now on, we will give it a day of testing before we release it. And you're going, What? You weren't even giving it a day of testing before you put it in the hands of the general public. Who And there are many videos out there that you can see where the thing is clearly not fit for purpose and nearly has accidents. So this is a, this is a ridiculous way that this has been handled and it sh they should be off the road now. Yes, I, I think our, our listeners are, are aware of that. But yes, it is. It's not how you handle safety stuff. 
and it's going to make it so hard for everyone who was doing it properly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Shall we move on to the next story, which is about Tesla? Yes. Andrew. <laughs> well, this is interesting because a, a, a forensic a computer forensic lab in Holland who was working for the Dutch government. So that's the important bit, is this isn't just a random... A no, no, yeah, random, yeah. They're, they're working for the Dutch that, government, um, yeah. particularly their vehicle elements of because the netherlands forensic institute is the actual name of this place thank and goodness it's in english in this writer's article yes quite <laughs> they've decrypted data and they have reverse engineered the code or they claim they have that shows that they understand exactly what information tesla vehicles hold about what the car has done this actually appears to be a lot more than they have passed over to the authorities previously. However, mm. it is also outside of what the authorities have asked for. I think primarily because they didn't know what they could ask for. Yeah. And now yeah, they exactly. do. So now what will happen is they will be, Tesla's will be, or Tesla will be requested this is the full list of all the info we need because you need more info, as much information as possible to try and get context, yeah, which is exactly. unlike, going back to the last story, is unlike the Tesla insurance, which was the way that you got quali qualified to be a public tester of their full self-driving was through very binary, non-contextual results from your mm. car telling you whether you're a, and again, massive quotation marks here, good driver or not. They need more information to understand what is going on, particularly if there are cameras involved in the vehicle and that sort of information, mm -hmm. because they, they will want to know what the person inside is doing as well as what is happening outside. Because how many times have, have people been blamed for things that wasn't their fault and all the rest yeah, of it? Yeah, exactly. exactly. So this, this is really important, but also... I am a little bit surprised that people are surprised at how much info the cars hold. Yeah, but that's because... I know I'm really quite geeky on this, and I know a lot geeky more. On it. I, I'm sort of moderately geeky on it, and I'm really not surprised. <laughs> no. But then... And then it won't, be te it won't be just Tesla that has this sort of information. No. It, it, yes, you're right. Absolutely, I agree with you. I don't think I need to go any further into it. Yeah. So shall we move on? Yes. Bit of shock news. <laughs> A bit of shock, bit of shock news. It's a bit of shock news, and it's also a little bit of not quite, not quite shock news. And that's that the McLaren CEO Mike Fluid is stepping down after eight years. He's obviously been been the boss for for quite a while. He started out as chief operating officer in 2012 before becoming CEO in 2013. This, remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, we talked about change of non-executive directors, some changes on the board. It's not unusual that this should happen relatively well, we asked, soon after we? that. We did. We asked, we did. will this change the dynamics of the board and the company? And we've pretty quickly got an answer to that. <laughs> yeah, but that's, I mean, you'll notice it didn't happen immediately. It did take a few weeks before it was even announced. So, you know, it, it, it's not a big surprise. When there are changes like that at the top of the board, then you can pretty much assume that there's going to be a change of CEO, a change of managing director pretty soon afterwards, because you wouldn't have been mushing everything around if things were going well. 
Exactly. Yep. Good luck, Mr. Fluitt, in wherever you end up next. Yep. Andrew, Birkenhead News, the Wirral's local independent news website, I think is the very first time we've used this as a, this is a, a story source. So go for it, mate. Yeah, well, this is the news that uh, in a few, uh, no, outside three schools in the Wirral area, they're going to trial school streets. Now, I think we've talked about school streets before. I know I've certainly had a few conversations on Twitter about them. But right. the idea is that these streets are uh, closed down to to most vehicles during the time of drop-off and pick-up of schools. This is to encourage people to feel safer to take their kids to school on bikes or other active travel ways, also to reduce congestion and to make it safer around the schools. Mm. There's exemptions for the likes of medical people, for the police, but it's all very controlled and mm. it's not it's not people using them as rat runs and things like that. Do we know how they control that or, or not? I would presume that there is official people coming and closing them off at certain times okay. cool. because these are only trial things. And this is mm. part of the whole trial that needs to go on is how can you do it when there isn't the active travel officer around, mm. as it says in mm. this article. <laughs> so I think it's a good idea having yeah. – been to three or four schools with my children, the way people park near them, drive near them, uh, and now that the the days are darker and grimmer because of the the season, it's uh, anything that can make that nicer mm, and safer. I think so. Is better, particularly parents themselves not parking within inches of the gates. <laughs> Yes, yes. Well, that is a little bit tricky for some of them to actually, you know. What I hope they do, though, when they trial this, is that they look at the streets that are outside of those areas and see the effect, the knock-on effect. I am hoping, I'm not presuming, because I've been involved in too many large organisations doing testing to, to think that this will happen, but I am I am hoping that the, they are looking at the wider thing. Because it's not just where are the parents and the children coming from and do they park further out? Does that affect this, you know, not just the streets outside the school, but the streets beyond? Does it just move the problem a bit, really? What about the cars that were using those as through routes to somewhere else, not just the parents' ones? What happens to them? Does that create an unintended issue further out and somewhere else? We, the, the whole thing really needs to be mapped carefully, and I hope that's what they do. But the yeah. idea sounds good. Yeah, I love the idea. I think it's a really good one. Yeah. And I think we'll see more of them as well. I think so. I, I'm just thinking about ones around here. And there's some places where I think it would work really well. And there's other places where the school is right on the main road. And that gets trickier. Yeah. So this is going to have to be a school by school, situation by situation type type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to take us to um, JLR one more time? I know it's not JLR and Tesla. It's unlike us. So this is this is from way back on October the nineteenth. Ineos had submitted an opposition to JLR's attempt to protect the Defender and the uh, both one hundred and ten and ninety station wagons as three D registered trademarks. And this was picked up by Tom by Ed Callow. Oh, dear. Ooh, that's a fiver to Ben, isn't it? Yeah, it's yes. a fiver to the Automotive Benevolent Fund because I have Ed's name right in front of me and I still said the wrong callow. So my apologies. I will be, I will submit that later on. I will submit it. I will, I will submit a bit more to Jim Holder and Co.'s um, 
three peaks walk which they've just been doing to to raise money for the automotive benevolent fund so i shall submit another fiver to that there we go where was i yes so anyway that's been squashed so Ineos has been told that there's no opposition to that what that then subsequently means i don't think any of us know it means it's protected there we go. Uh, does that mean that JLR will be looking at the Grenadier and going, if I stand back and squint, that looks a lot like a Defender 110 or not? How's that going to go? We don't know. Basically, it's a case of JL, um, of it's not even JLR has won a thing, but Ineos has lost a thing. Yes. Um, uh, and and so we'll we'll see what happens. We'll just keep an eye on it. Mm, yeah. Oh, by the way, do do, do do also donate to Jim Mulder and or I think folks from Autocar and the Motor Industry Benevolent Fund. Yep. yep. You do that too on my behalf as well. Uh, I think that marathon first part is now over. That was a monster this week. I should really have, have not just let you fill I all of that in. I didn't put everything in that we could have as well. I know, but we, there was, was so good. much. I mean, this is this as much as anything is one of the reasons why we don't skip weeks, everyone, yes. because there's just so much otherwise. But anyway, we've finally got to Guild Minute, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on, the hosting running. And if you feel that the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. The different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you including be able to watch the show recorded live which i'm pleased to say some of you are doing we also have a small range of merchandise available from our website and spring store from stickers to mugs and t-shirts if you don't have any spare cash and we completely understand that then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you if you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thank you very much. You rock. You do. Then the last thing you can do is recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you to everyone who does and has mm. so recently. Yes, you are all brilliant. I'm going to do a bit of follow-up on the new new car news. I'm, I'm amazed that follow-up has, 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 has moved to here uh, this week, but it's, this is the sensible place to have this follow-up. Yes. When we were discussing the MG ZS EV which just trips mm. off the tongue. We didn't know the price at the time, and we now do. It's going to start from 28495 if you include the £2,500 plug-in car grant, which is just over £2,000 more expensive than the outgoing model, I believe. But for that, do not forget, you get a 72-kilowatt battery, which gives you 273 miles, which is 110 more than what was previously available. There is the improvement in the infotainment stuff. There's the improvement in the looks. It's just an improvement for two grand more. Wow. It, there's a lot of improvement in there. So, yes, yes. Big, big, big change, really, for a mid. This is definitely a car on our list to try and get hold of for a week to test out because... It sounds astonishing value for money. Yes, absolutely. And it looks pretty smart as well. Yeah, like the, impro the, the improvements the have, have done it the world of good, I think. Not as much as the facelifted MG5, which is also included in this Autocar news story by Felix Page. It looks a lot... It's kind of funny because the current MG5 is a bit... Oh, look, somebody's... Honey, I shrunk the Volkswagen. Yes. Um, whereas the new one looks a lot like the next new, new car we're going to talk about, which is the Toyota BZ4X, which, funnily enough, 
is an electric SUV that gets up to 240 brake horsepower and 280 miles of range. But what's the important thing about this? It's Toyota's first battery electric car. It's been co-developed with Subaru, and it's the first of at least 15 pure electric vehicles that are going to be coming from Toyota uh, by 2025. And BZ stands for Beyond Zero. I'm trying. I'm sorry. I'm waiting until you tell me that I've hit the right talking point for that. Question. Yeah, no, it was the fact that it's the, their first EV, but this is the company. Oh, it's not. It's not, because there's been two generations of RAV4 EV before this. There have been numerous other small testy cars, but it's I think it's their first global dedicated EV on a dedicated EV platform. Sorry, yes. I, the whole Toyota never do electric cars. Well, that's really what I was going to because... get to. That it, it, it seems to be, Toyota seems to be the favorite punch bag of the EV fanatics. They go, well, Toyota doesn't do anything. And you sort of go... Who's had hybrids for how long? Yeah, I'm, for twenty. I'm, for 20, I'm sure over twenty years. There's a battery yeah. involved in there somewhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what? But yeah. importantly, what are the things they are making clear when they when they brought this out? Because they, I think they're making some good press collateral in what they are stressing about the the longevity of the batteries and all the rest mm. of it. Now you couldn't get that without doing. 20 odd years of improving of, batteries of of research development it's, it's like we say and making about, it pay for itself yeah yeah ex exactly i mean that's oh I, i'm 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 a toyota fanboy anyway i completely admit to that so it always sounds even worse when it comes from me i feel everyone knows i'm not as much as you <laughs> but it's so but, it's, but i can acknowledge if you look at it from a business point of view no one can just throw this cash about volkswagen's had to because of Volkswagen's Dieselgate. had to, for, yeah, exactly. And now other companies are having to because of Dieselgate and the way mm. that regulations have changed. Yeah. But there was clearly a long-term strategy here. Otherwise, they wouldn't have stuck with hybrids for as long as they did. Exactly. What else was I going to say? What does it look like? We haven't talked about what it looks like. It looks like a RAV4 and a CHR got together one night, <laughs> and then this was their progeny. <laughs> oh, dear. Fan fiction's coming out of that. <laughs> ew, ew. <laughs> In some parts of the world, you'll be able to order it with a yoke instead of a wheel. So uh, there's one less reason to order your Tesla played because this should be significantly uh, more affordable. But not the UK, by the way. Yes. So it does have a, a steer-by-wire system. That should actually make it very easy to, to make it right-hand drive as well as left-hand drive. I would generally imagine that it has been tested. It's kind of cool. I like it. I want to try it, obviously. There'll be a, if you think the looks are a little bit too odd for you, because the sort of, it's got gloss cladding, everyone, and we love some cladding. I want to see the gloss cladding in, in the flesh. Uh, but the Subaru equivalent, which is very similar, does without the gloss cladding. So you may desire the Subaru instead of the Toyota. I believe the Subaru version is coming to Europe. Oh, good. Okay. I, from memory, sorry, we're talking about the Subaru. Uh, the, the Toyota, but yeah, the, I believe the Subaru one is coming very soon. Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting. This is a big car for the Toyota. I am yes. sure it will do well. Yeah, I mean, when you think that the RAV4 is the best-selling SUV in the world, 
then a mid-size SUV in the world. Then we'll see how it goes. Obviously, limited markets to begin with, because they won't be selling this in vast tracts of Africa, I'm sure. But 280 miles is good. Is a good range. 280 miles is don't really have range anxiety anymore range. I think people will find that 250 is becoming the... You know, where we, we said for ages 300. As soon as it hits 300, then everyone calms down mm. and goes, oh, it's not really a problem. My, I think people will find yeah. 250 now because they'll realise how far 250 is, particularly in Britain. Yeah, I mean, two, 250 is pretty much here to Perth. You've had to have stopped unless you are trying to you be incredibly unsafe. You're one of these people with a 500-mile with a, with a bladder, you know, which is just... We're Middle East. Yes, but have you got 500-mile concentration? That's the difference. No, I, that's the I know, well, you see, I know I have neither, so... So yeah. it doesn't. That's one of the reasons why I'm less fast than than I think some people are who can play who who claim that they can just drive from here to there and just hundreds of miles without stopping. So like, mm, good, yeah, yeah. Lucky yeah. you. I, I'd like to opt out from being in part of that experiment. <laughs> yes, stay at home. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Okay, a different SUV this time around. Yeah, this is an important one. We're making this the JLR show. Uh, but it this really is, is the 2022 Range Rover that got leaked before the embargo and all the rest of it. That's the Range Rover Range Rover, by the way. It has the same issue as the Mini. Yes. <laughs> and the design of it is very much evolution. Do you, know, do you know what they've done? They've gone off and they have built a British version of the Mercedes-Benz smoothing machine. So you know how when Mercedes-Benz wants to decide that this was this, I have actually been working today, but this was, you know, when Mercedes-Benz wants to make an electric version of a model, mm. they get the standard model and they put it through their magic Mercedes-Benz smoothing machine that comes out the other side. And it looks just like the the internal combustion engine version, but smoother. <laughs> That's what they've done. They, they sort of borrowed it. You know, Jerry McGovern went over and said, uh, oh, we'll take a Range Rover. Oh, how he speaks, and uh, please, Mercedes, can we borrow your smoothing machine? And Mercedes-Benz said, yes, of course you can borrow our smoothing machine. So they put a Range Rover smooth, smoothing machine, and lo, it was seen to be handbaggy. Uh, sorry, good. <laughs> there's going to be a link to an autocar article that has lots of pictures about it, but there's also going to put in a link to the Gentleman Racer tweet where it's showing the evolution of the design of the Range Rover, just because I think it's fascinating to see i love the csk limited edition that's at the bottom by the way that is the range rover i would have through choice the <laughs> charles spencer king um sort of semi-run out edition of the classic yeah three door mm, um sorry <clears throat> it looks like a range rover that now for some reason has a mexican bandit mustache around the back <laughs> At least there's no daftness. I mean, it's going to sell to all the premiership footballers, the the movie stars and all the rest of it. Uh, and it's going to be oodles of that. The uh, Americans, luxury. the Chinese, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So but it is important for JLR. It is important that they have this prestige model in the range, particularly when other elements of their lineup are supposed to be aiming higher now. Um, that they can show that they are in that sort of category. It's mm -hmm. not going to be cheap, obviously. Oh, it starts at 90000 for the short wheelbase model. Yeah. It but just... the long wheels, you can now get three rows of seats, all sorts of stuff, and there will be an EV version coming, I think, in a couple of years. Yeah. 
Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, it, it just it it just looks huge. <laughs> Honestly, it's very hard to tell. I mean, none of these pictures really have much scale. Well, you other do than have some vines, Jerry next to some of them. Is he not quite wee? Yeah, I know that, but even so. So yeah, we, we'll see. It's a big old thing. The Range Rover has always been, by whatever contemporary measure, a big old thing. Mm. As other cars get bigger, the Range Rover has to get bigger too. Uh, that's yeah. just that's just the way it is. Long wheelbase one, by the way. Mid row of seats, a meter of legroom. This is vast. This wow. the inside space is vast. It's, it's making this. a shout to be the, the, the replacement crack windscreen family hauler. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, that sort of. <laughs> you, you're going to have to pimp Mrs. Windscreen out a little bit more enthusiastically. Oh, yeah. I think. Yes. <laughs> It's Absolutely. a good. It's a good look at. I want it to be. I really want it to be successful. I think it's yes. great. There's going to be an EV version. Yeah, uh, that's going to they be very popular. That. They really needed that, and um, and that'll have a trickle down effect as well. And that's that's what's important about that. I think, and, and even having a plug-in hybrid version is 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 important. Obviously, those coming later because really you want it out there. They want it in their big selling markets, where let's be frank, the EVness is less important. So but the, the optics you know, of it are important, though. Don't vital, if if vital. you're in LA, having an EV optically is quite mm. important to get you know if, the likes of DiCaprio and yeah people like that driving one of them as an EV because there aren't really any competitors at that point. One of the things I noticed about this uh, autocar article, by the way, was the fact that at the start it described it as a Porsche Cayenne rival which made me chuckle because actually I couldn't work out how else you would describe the, because everything is described as a Range Rover rival, a rival to the Range Rover. I was like, how do you describe the thing that everything it's, it's like the golf. So we might have to say it's a rival to the Ford Focus. Everything else is a rival to the golf. Um, the Range Rover fits into that kind of situation. The, the too, market standard has been reimagined. It is. <laughs> it is. Oh God, you're reimagining. Get out of here. Anyway. <laughs> Take us to WRC anyway. Yes, funnily enough, I've got a WRC story, and that's merely to tell you that the World Rally Championship calendar for 2022 has been released. Uh, season will start in Monte Carlo on the 20th to 23rd of January. Rally Sweden is back at the end of February. Croatia, not quite finalized yet. Uh, and then Portugal, Italy, Kenya, Estonia, Finland, somewhere to be confirmed at the end of august oh if only it could be britain but it won't i hope be. It's, it won't be sadly so disappointing uh greece new zealand spain and japan which is at the 10th to the 13th of november next year loads of some great rallies in there you know that should be really really good mm-hmm. yep uh but hyundai have been out and they've been playing with the next generation of rally car They've been doing a really interesting bit of testing with the next generation. Mm. Now, not only have they been very open about it, but they have basically recreated a rally in all its in all the bits that encompass it to test out what it's like to take one of these vehicles on the public road, get it into service, get it to start, what happens halfway through, and all that. So they they managed to uh, cordon off an area. Th- these for three are these days. are the ra- the Rally One hybrid. Yes, yeah, so it's going to be it's the hybrid yeah. vehicle. So that we have to remember some parts of the stage, particularly in the built up areas, they have to run on EV only. 
So they are. T- so what Hyundai have done, and I think this is an incredibly clever thing to do, and something that I know both of us, if we were consultants, would have recommended. We are available, by the way, for a reasonable fee, Hyundai or others. But that they have gone literally from the start to finish. What will it be like with this new vehicle? Because they know what it's like with the current vehicles because they've done mm. it for years. Yeah. This is a different beast. This this requires different bits of tech and different bits of care in different areas. So the drivers have to get used to this as well, particularly, and this is very important. They have to understand the car's fine. It's just in EV mode. So you have to do slightly different things because you're in the town. Don't forget, mm-hmm. you don't hit the, I want it on full chat button, whatever that is, <laughs> you know, whatever setting that needs to be. So it's it's really interesting. Um, think of this as a bit of a additional lunchtime read because Colin Clark got to go along and experience what it's like, um, listen to what the drivers had to say and all the rest of it, as well as uh, Adamo uh, discuss uh, what it's like having to to manage the team now with the with the new vehicle coming in. So I'm really looking forward to this because there's been a lot of quite silly comments on Twitter. Oh, they're very quiet when it's been films of them in the built-up areas and it's been like somebody recording it on a phone yeah. outside. But then when you've heard people discuss it who were there, go, yeah, but it sounds great when they, they open up and all the rest of it. So it's still got that, you know, the very visceral sound of a rally car when it when it is suitable for it to be. Yeah. I think there's been a lot of arguments that WRC has taken ages to get to this point, but at least they are there now. Can't wait to see what it And happens. are they there? And hopefully, by the sounds of this, actually, they're there in quite a good way. I mean, there was a lot of toing and froing and, and issues and challenges to, mm. to get there. Let's not pretend that, 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 that this has been... An, I mean, easy, an easy run. Yeah, well, exactly. An easy run for the entire series or any of the members of the series to have stuck it out. And mm. quite frankly, we kind of expected Hyundai to have pulled the plug by now. I, I am surprised that they have that they are going to be there. I really yeah. thought they were walking away. Yeah, me too. I, yeah, that wouldn't have surprised me. That wouldn't yeah. have surprised me. So, so lots of really good stuff there. Excellent article. Fantastic photography as well. Uh, well worth, yeah, obviously. Well, well Again, worth a bonus. Turfish. Sort. Uh, but yeah, just just well worth a, a click. But hopefully people see from this that other manufacturers see that it is something to get into as well mm. because lots of manufacturers, because, I mean, it's Opel have got their own EV-only rally car mm-hmm. at the moment. They're the only manufacturer with a full-on EV, don't forget, for uh, customer racing. And I know they're trying to get a subcategory in the WRC just for EVs. That would be cool. So if we if we just want more manufacturers in there because more manufacturers, the more exciting it is because the more chance. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important that M Sport have a good year. If M Sport have a good year, then they can show to people you can do it. And it doesn't cost and, loads of money. Yes. Yeah. That's because so Toyota important. and Hyundai obviously have what feels like bottomless checkbooks that just keep do. paying for things. And I, I really hope, I mean, my fingers crossed for M Sport next season because I, I, one, it's the plucky underdog and they're British, but two, just to show the viability of the sport. I think that probably Hyundai and Hyundai and Toyota have, their, have to an extent, 
their fingers crossed for M Sport as well, because I think M Sport's yeah. important for them too. I know that sounds silly, but if you think it through, then it, it just it's more important than it underlines that. I mean, they want they will want more teams as well to an extent. I yeah. know it makes it harder for them, but it makes it better rallying. And to be honest, the people at the top of all these teams are really all about the sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to take us to lunchtime, Reed? Yes, it's the intersection of cars and architecture, which, according to Nick Berg, is where we'd love to live. It's car-architecture, people. Uh, (laughs) Houses which uh, incorporate some rather nice ways of holding, displaying uh, cars. And it all starts with Frank Lloyd Wright. Uh, Mm -hmm. And funnily enough, the article ends with Frank Lloyd Wright. But it's a few excerpts in this one from a book called Carchitecture. Houses with Horsepower by three Dutch chaps whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce. No. Some gorgeous photographs. There's beautiful photography. And I, I love that the um so so the the Frank Lloyd Wright house for Roland Risley in Usonia, New York, designed in nineteen fifty one, chapter twenty six then, had an extended roof to sort of carport to protect his mercedes-benz 300 and it turns out mr raceley still lives there how cool would it mind you if i lived in a frank lloyd right now so i wouldn't be running to no. sell it unless it was falling water and it had terrible structural issues yes <laughs> so do click on the haggerty link uh in the show notes to read that it is uh oh it's just lovely just mm. absolutely lovely mm-hmm. right so i'm going to take us to the list of the week and whilst this may appear that we're going to talk about a certain car company we've mentioned a few times, we don't. And it is the cars that are cults. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> right. Yes. Loads here. Is there one yes. in particular that stands out to you? That Okay. Almost want to ask you to then tell me what it is that I've chosen. Oh, I could think of... There's a few. Three. Okay, so I'm going to choose Citroen 2CV. That was one of my options. I'm glad I'm that close. Well, I love the photo is, is of a and spot special edition. But yeah, for me, of all of these, the, the Citroen 2CV, I love many of the others that are there, but there's just something super cool about a 2CV. Mm. What about you? Because there are many, so we should have Oh, it's really, this is really, really hard, I have to say. It, it is, by the way. There's, there are lots. There are uh, lots. And I fundamentally disagree with slide 23, but that's... That uh, slide 20, have I got to slide 23? I might have chosen slide 23. Yes. No, you, you didn't. No, I, I've clicked on it and it could well be, yes. Slide 23. But it, it doesn't tell me which number it is because it's an autocar slideshow, so it's a little bit dicky. Um, oh, really, really tough. I I have to say, not that I've driven one, but the M3 E30. Oh, yeah. I always wanted that. That's, that's a car that I go back to so often to just, just look at. Uh, and if there's a driving game or something like that, and you're, you're starting off with some of the older or lesser powered vehicles, I just go, well, I'm just going to pick that because it's ace. They, they <laughs> look so off. they look so small now. And I remember when they were like six grand and I couldn't quite afford one or justify one. And now you're looking at it. It's so, it's so clean. But when you look at modern design, so many of these cars in this list are so clean. Even even the two CV looks clean compared to hmm. 
um you know the lines seem to have been deliberately thought out and it's it is this is a a, a great list again click through on the show notes and if if you are not agreeing with us that's fine but do tell us which which you think would be your uh number one cult yeah answer, answer, answer in the comments below everyone don't forget to like and subscribe <laughs> Right, do you want to take us to the end finally? finally? Yes, the end finally, <laughs> finally, is Autocar again. Uh, because now, over 6,000 issues, more than 1.1 million pages, and 125 years worth of motoring history is available online for a very small fee. I think if you're a current Autocar subscriber, it's something like £12 a year, certainly for this first year, for access to every an online archives of every single copy of autocar magazine I, I still have a couple i still got the mclaren f1 one i was made to get rid of my collection by who my parents it was something about the house starting to subside because there was so much weight in the <laughs> loft or something which is not completely true by the way um but yeah i was at one point i i had to psych myself up come home for a weekend from university and throw out pretty much all of my 2000 issues or something it's a ridiculous wow. number of issues that i had so I have a small selection. I'm McLaren F1. I have the 100th anniversary one. And I have another one, which is, I think it's the 230E road test in there. It's certainly part of a group test. I know this has been an incredible undertaking to yeah. digitize this. And, and it's superb work by everyone in the team. They're now on uh, Classic and Sports Car. It's being digitized next. Awesome. Good stuff. Great, great work. Yep. Well done, everyone. Thank you. And that is it for the week, I think. A couple of parish notes um a couple of fridays ago there was a special edition out i of course couldn't publicize it last week uh so uh andrew talks about driving a little red fire engine for a week <laughs> zoom zoomers was out yesterday it's quite a long one there's quite a lot of gassing went on yesterday uh last night so zoom zoomers is out as well no special edition coming this week, but there will be a few in subsequent weeks because we've had some some stuff to drive. Mm -hmm. um, some stuff to drive, some events to go to. Woo. Yes, I am going to the Late Break Show oh. in Manchester this Saturday. And the following Saturday, not the Friday, which will be the press day and stuff, then passes, etc. dependent, uh, I intend to be at the NEC Classic Car Show. If you're at either of those and you see either of us, please do come over and say hello. Mm. If you could wear your Twitter freaky. badge. Twitter yeah, badge, that, that, that help helps. <laughs> and please say who you, This sounds awful. I'm so sorry. But please say who you are. Because someone came and, introduced, and, and said, hello, I really enjoy the podcast to me at Festival of the Unexceptional. And I still don't know who you were. I'm so sorry. Well, you were one of the people, but you were the person I really didn't know who you were. <laughs> so, yeah, do, don't forget to mention your name. I think I then did the same to Johnny Smith, by the way, at, uh, at at the late break show just up the road from here. I forgot to actually see who I was. He sort of looked at me in a funny way, but he'd had a long day. Well, I've already anyway. worn Sniff Petrol. I'm going to come and bother him. Cool. So he'll be hiding. <laughs> good. That was good man. Good man. And don't forget, he's got a new book out, and it's really good. And it's not very expensive. Yes, I think we've now we've publicized our own stuff and everybody else's stuff. Don't forget, folks, that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please remember you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. 
Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Wintering, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you personally and ask which parts of the McLaren Autocar magazine you particularly like, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? All of it. Um, <laughs> you can best to get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, more cars should have a uh, turned Bubinga Wood gear knob. By the way, that's my favourite part of the McLaren F1, if you really want to know. Uh, We'll be back very soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.